we need to get together and let our voices be heard. This is Buffalo What's Next. I'm Jay Moran. I'm Bridget Jaipal Valenza. I'm Dave Debo. And I'm Thomas O'Neill White. After May 14th, how can we afford not to talk about race? About education, about segregation, about humanity. Since the dawn of this nation, racial violence has existed. The way we have designed our society has a big hand in what occurred in that Topps market. The suburban area everywhere, we must work and teach our children. We need to make sure that we put more funding in our programs that help prevent gun violence and more money into art. We're going to have some real healing. We've got to have space to tell some uncomfortable truths. Showing right now through March 26th at the Birchfield Penny Arts Center is the retrospective Leroy, Living in Color. It looks at five decades of work from Buffalo-born artist Leroy Johnson. But as he says it, art is just one of his two full-time jobs. The other is as a lawyer, and part of his legal work consisted of serving as the manager for the legendary musical artist Rick James. Rick James and Leroy Johnson are brothers. Leroy Johnson joins us for the next hour on Buffalo What's Next. And I want to get into... Uh, this art exhibit at the Birchfield Penny. Now, there's a lot behind that for sure, but just if, for your sake, obviously you hear this question a lot. You're an artist. Well, you're an artist. What do you do? So what what kind of art, how would you describe your art? Well, uh, it's very difficult for me to describe it. I, I did at one point self-coin uh, the term electric primitive, and that just refers to, electric refers to uh, being colorful and um, exciting, and the primitive is being untrained, um, people ask me what type of art do you have a lot. So uh, years ago, I, I coined the phrase, phrase uh, electric primitive. But um, my art is about about me and about my life and about how I interpret life and uh, what experiences I've had in life. But um, a lot of it is very spontaneous and, and is based on dreams and um things that come to me at, at night and I'll wake up and I'll do a sketch real quick. And um, having done this for so many years, the, 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 the piece comes to me almost completely with, in colors and design and that. And so I'll do a quick uh, uh, sketch and uh, the rest of it is easy trying to um, uh, uh, replicate what I've, I've um, dreamed. And once I get it on, start getting it on canvas, then um, uh, my experience and the other things in, in painting, uh, then they come to fruition. I'm able to to, um, uh, to do it in my style, which is, of course, the dream was mine already. Right, but right. Uh, I'm also able to use the colors that I use and um, a whole process that um, uh, that I use. It's it, you know it, it's uh, when you when you when you paint something, uh, the hardest part is um, the very beginning of prepping. Uh, and you prepping, use what acrylic prepping, and oil? You yeah. Use both, so yeah. You, uh, prepping will take away some of the energy, so you want to prep the canvas pretty quickly, and or sometimes have um, uh, a canvas ready. But the problem there is that uh, um, my ideas come in shapes and forms that have to fit in the shape and form in which uh, I originally think of it as. So you know you you won't have that canvas ready, so you you have to create a quick canvas and prep it uh, pretty quickly. You know, and uh, it's interesting to, because your work is so impressively colorful. 
And when you were talking about it being in your dream, do you, do you dream in color, or is that something that comes later on in, oh, the, no, in the process? No, I dream in color. Really? I, I thought it doesn't everybody. <laughs> you know, I, I, I dream in color. <laughs> I don't think so. I don't think everybody does actually. No. But that's that's interesting. So so these come out of your dreams. You sketch. So you'll wake up in the middle of the night and you'll have something in mind that needs to come out of you. Yes, something, that, and no matter what it is, I'll sketch it. Um, and sometimes it just happens that. Uh, if I don't sketch it, then it just continues to repeat itself in different <laughs> dreams. And until it says, look, do this dream. <laughs> get, get it out get of it me. Get it out of me. <laughs> get it out of me and get the whole painting out. So it's all based on, on energy. And um, uh, I'll start the painting. And then in the middle of the painting, I might have another energy. So, you know, you have to get a lot of that painting done. Because if something else comes up... I want to move on to that other thing. And then sometimes I'll get back to that painting and uh, finish that one up. Or it may be it may be finished. You say that this comes from you. The, the art is about you. So these dreams that you have, are they influenced by things that happened to you during the day or things that you've seen in the news or Everything. What? Yeah? Everything. There's nothing that, that um, uh, there's no specific thing that triggers. I might see an image. Okay. And that image may trigger a response. Um, and I always give some uh, this example that uh, uh, I don't want to promote uh, uh, any place, but uh, you know, I was on the corner. I was in a car looking at uh, everything at Homewood and, and from the car. And I looked in the window and I said, oh, boy, that's a beautiful painting in the window. And uh, so let me get out of the car and look at it. And I walked up to it and it was just a reflection of light on a piece of glass. And it was so vivid to me that I um, I sketched that quickly, and um, I did about three paintings of it, you know. But it wasn't there. It was something that I I thought was there, and uh, so I created it. Wow. Living in Buffalo, um, obviously, it's got to be a huge influence. You're originally from Buffalo. You lived other places, and I'd love to get into that in your 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 journey in that regard. But does Buffalo I mean, these are your stories. These images are your stories. Yes. But does Buffalo, I mean, if you if you took me to one of your paintings, you, you could say, this oh, yes. reflects oh, yes. on Buffalo. Uh, there's, uh, there's some imagery, um, like um, uh, confusion on Elmwood. And, uh, uh, you know, I have a part of Elmwood with all the colorful houses. And uh, I have these cats for, and these uh, what I call bullaces, which is an imaginary image of, of mind uh, running up the street, you know. But, uh, you know, Elwood gets uh, a little crazy sometimes, at least it used to, you know. I, and, I think it still has its moments. And so that imagery and uh, the imagery growing up um, uh, in the projects and that kind of thing, uh, I often place that in, in paintings and uh, uh, the people. I'll do that. I'll, I'll take some of that imagery also. You're an East High School graduate here in the city of No, Buffalo? I attended East High School. You didn't graduate from there? No, I went to three high schools. Three? Yes, I, I wanted I wanted a better education, so I I thought I needed to go to three high schools. <laughs> <laughs> I started Hutch Tech, I went to East, and then uh, a year and a half at um, Hutch Tech, a year and a half at East, and then I uh, graduated from Lafayette. Oh, okay. All right. Okay. Sorry. So, but that being stated, so then you have a, you know, you were well-versed in Buffalo public schools. Oh, yes. That's oh, for yes. sure. Oh, yes. How about, uh, were your artistic beginnings during well, your school days? Well, actually, my uh, artistic beginnings goes back way before high school uh, as a 
as a young ch- kid, I, I did a lot of sketching. And um, <clears throat> I always did a lot of sketching, and uh, uh, then it became a time where that's all I really could do. I had an accident, and I was bedridden for about um, uh, well, four years. I was out of school. So during that time, I did a lot of um, a lot of sketching, and I think that developed a perspective for me in art. And when I uh, when I finally was able to do something, it was um, my my uh, seventh and eighth grade. I was able to go to school, and then I went to Hutch Tech. Okay. And I went to Hutch Tech originally for commercial art and design, and that was my first basic course in art. So that's where it started. Okay, so some so there was a teacher back then who uh, kind of helped you yeah, get yeah. this rolling. Anybody yeah. specifically though that influenced you that you say, "Boy, I would not be here doing this type of work right now." And my own exhibit at uh, the Birchfield Penny if this person inside Buffalo didn't help me along. Well, I wish I remembered his name, but I I was in the bed at uh uh uh, uh emergency hospital mm-hmm. and there was a guy who was in the bed uh, across from me and uh, funny guy but he was always in a, in a wheelchair and that and he saw that I was doing a little sketch and he he uh, bought me a book and some pencils and that and said do some work for me and and keep this book and I and and that was really the beginning of um, uh, formalized training because now I had a book and you know I didn't have scraps of paper and I still do art on anything. I do it on tissue or, or whatever's there on the back of um, matchbooks. I did that, and on the back of um, you know, I used to do on my uh, my card. I had these art things that no, you can't have this one because <laughs> I got my I, I got my art piece on it. I, and and then when cell phones finally came along, you know, it made it real cool. But um, I think the the cooler part is to have the original. So I would take pictures of the of, of these sketches, and I still do take pictures of the sketches because now you can you can put the colors on real quickly and that kind of thing. But um, yeah, that was my first part uh, 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 of formalized training was through um, just a gentleman who was in the bed next to me, and then off to Hutch Tech, and um, I thought that that was too formal for me, uh, too restrictive. Um, although the concepts that I learned were important and I remembered most of them I mean those concepts of perspective and and spheres and geometrics and and uh, design um, they were important but I always tried to get away from those things because right. I thought that they were uh, I didn't want to be that kind of structured I wanted to to be more creative on my own and it's interesting as you're saying that what maybe leads me to this question is there was a point you know, I always think of we, sometimes we call people who draw artists, and I don't necessarily want to um, uh, denigrate that activity or even that definition, but there's the technical part of it, being able to put something up on a canvas or on a piece of paper that somebody will actually know it's not just a stick figure, it's it's got some real depth to it. But what about for you in terms of when meaning became a larger part of what you were doing it was less about technique. You had to have the technique to to produce these pieces, but where it became more about something that was a little bit more expansive. Well, I, I don't think I ever got to that point where um, technique was ever a focus of mine. I think uh, doing was always a focus, 
And as you do more and more and, you know, you, you kind of examine what you're doing a little bit. Uh, and each time you, you, you get a little bit better. But um, um, my art has always been an experiment. I mean, each page. I can't remember what I did the piece before. Okay. So, I, you know, I just start and um, I know that I have to prep. I know I have to do that. And, and then I also know that I have to um, uh, compose. Uh, but I do all of that naturally now. You know, it's a, a composition is like a, a photographer's eye, and you and you, you you know, I look at the canvas like a photographer, and I say that this has to be a certain way. Uh, this is my focal point, and um, it just happens that that fits in the form of which maybe they're teaching in art school. But uh, there are a lot of benefits to art school that I missed out on, like the the, the shading portion. But I've you know I've learned I've learned to do that myself. Uh, the process would have been easier maybe if I went to school, but right. at the same time, I think it would have lost a lot of um, uh, creativity and individuality Understood. By, by doing that. You're listening to Buffalo What's Next. More to come right after this on WBFO. Our region is home to some of the finest communities in the world. Explore them through the Our Town series produced by WNED PBS, but captured by community members on the Buffalo Toronto Public Media YouTube channel today. Listen to Buffalo What's Next weekday mornings at 10 a.m. on WBFO or on the WBFO app. Use the Talk to Us feature to leave your questions and comments. This is Buffalo What's Next, where we have conversations with the community about moving forward. To have your voice heard, press the Talk to Us button on the WBFO app, and we'll work to get your questions and comments on the air. Join us on Twitter at WBFO or email us at news at WBFO.org. Together, we'll have the conversations that are needed. This is WBFO, your NPR station. We're talking with Leroy Johnson this morning here on Buffalo What's Next Uh uh, you can check out Leroy Living in Color at Birchfield Penny through March 26th. And this, I, I believe it's considered a, a retrospective of your yes, career. It's a retrospective of uh, work that um, actually goes back to the, at least one piece goes into the 60s. Okay. Uh, didn't keep a lot because I did a lot of moving around. It was very difficult to keep pieces. Um, but there's 70 pieces in the show. Uh, that um, spanned uh, different periods. And my periods are kind of mixed in because I didn't focus on uh, one period and just right. do this one thing. But I do flashbacks. I go back to, say, the Color People series, and then I go to Geometrics, and sometimes I I mix and match the two. But um, uh, it's a retrospective, which includes a collaboration with uh, four groups, the Buffalo Public Schools, the uh, uh, Buffalo Center for Arts and Technology, Squeaky Wheel, and Just Buffalo. So part of it was to give students an opportunity to look at the process of, um, of what an, an artist does to, to get in a museum, but also look at the entire process of what happens in a museum with the administrators and with um, uh Everything, all the components to marketing and that, and uh, it was really successful. I worked with probably about 80 students. Okay. And um, they have pieces that are uh, integrated into the show. So there's 70 pieces of mine and um, 20 plus pieces of theirs. Okay. And it's really exciting. And again, that's at uh, the Birchfield Penny through March 26th. Uh, you, you were saying before how you don't, you, you're, doing, you're working on one piece now. 
You almost don't even really remember what the piece was before. Now you go and you have this retrospective. Got 70 pieces up there. Do you find maybe when you were putting it up or, or reflecting on how it was going to be assembled, little messages, little thoughts about these different pieces through the years that, that came to you? Well, yes, after um, uh, Tiffany Gaines, after she organized them all and, and, and organized them into series and the rest, which she does a fabulous job of, uh, uh, it was actually my first time seeing a lot of pieces that, that you know, they've been put away. They were put away for years. And uh, a lot of them were too big to show in, in places around uh, around Buffalo. So and the only place they could be shown is probably a museum or something like right. that. So this was my first time seeing a lot of the pieces out and, and arranged the way they were. So uh, that was fabulous. And also, um, I think our thinking was pretty much the same after talking with Tiffany about, you know, what these pieces represented. She was able to make sense out of them and... Uh, you know, sometimes people can explain things better than you can, Certainly. especially as kids, these, right. these young students that, uh, uh, that I work with, uh, the way they explained it, I was like, okay, I don't need to say anything. <laughs> I was like, okay, you know, and don't put me behind that person again. You know, <laughs> I'm just trying to explain something. They've already explained it and they did a better job than I could ever do. Gotcha. All right. But so, but so in that regard, it's, it was almost seeing it for the first time in some ways. I mean, yes. that, yeah, wow. Yes. That's, that's really interesting. So and I, I, it does seem to be part of the artist's uh, makeup that so much of it is living in the now, that the, the ideas, the things that move you are right now. They're right. not yes. from five no. years ago, 10 years ago, 30 no, years ago. No, and I may, I may reach back um, in my memory. I, I don't really look back at a lot of paintings to, to see – what I did, I, I but uh, if I'm focusing on something new, uh, I might include something that was um, included in other paintings, and um, not really thinking about it. But uh, you know, I, I just think that this belongs in this piece. Your your process really interests me, and and I'm wondering if you could share perhaps a recent, a relatively recent dream. I'm don't I don't want to steal your creative uh, okay. uh, energy here right now, but well, maybe the last piece that was a dream, sketched, finished painting. Well, um, the last piece that actually that I'm thinking of painting, I just haven't painted it yet. Okay. But uh, uh, be careful, we might steal yeah, this idea. Yeah, okay, well, you know, <laughs> somehow uh, an, an octopus came out. Okay. And um, but the octopus took a certain form, and um, uh, instead of using the head of the octopus, I used the head of a person. With their tentacles, and um, it. What's important to me is not just that concept of. Um, I'm, right now, I'm in this concept of uh, the different forms of man. If if man wasn't created with a human body, but was created with uh, some other body, uh, what form would that take? Uh, sort of like aliens, you know. Right. But um, uh, that's kind of the concept I'm working with. So you have to work with the. Uh, a concept of color, background, um, structure, uh, how you're going to structure it, uh, that kind of thing. So I did the sketch, and I'm just waiting for an opportunity because I'm working on about – I usually work on about five or six pieces at the same time. Wow. So I'm, I'm trying to get to that. Um, I may not get to it for a, a month because the other pieces are that I'm working on are pretty detailed. Uh, like, you're familiar with uh, Lita and Swan? 
I'm sorry, no. Yeah. Well, Lita and the Swan is a famous Greek uh, painting that um, uh, Lita is a woman who uh, uh, made love to a swan. Well, I'm doing Lido and the Swan. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> so, you know, in my, in my form, and I didn't really know, um, or maybe I just couldn't remember uh, Lita and the Swan, but so what I did, I reverse searched the painting after I, I finished it, and this painting came up of Lita, and I was like, wow. So I'm thinking uh, uh, classical, and uh, it actually exists, but mine was a man, so instead of, I said, well, I don't have to fool around with the title. I'll just call it Lido. Right, right. So you're open then to, um, I guess, all types of art, whether it's classical, modern, oh, is that right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. So, yeah. yeah. You know, you'll see classical elements in a lot. And um, I did a, a painting called um, Noma Lisa. Right. And Noma Lisa is my take if Mona Lisa were done today and she were black. So um, it, actually that painting, um, uh, it has a story. It goes back to uh, uh, when I lived in Paris. And I used to go into the Louvre, and you couldn't take any pictures. You could sketch it. But um, uh, I tried to take a picture, hide and take a picture, and they caught me. <laughs> and so I put the camera away, and the, the, one of the guards, she looked at me, and she said, go ahead, take the picture. You know, so I took the picture, but that memory stayed with me. So I said, one day I'm going to paint it that. Now, you're talking from 74 to about, I think I did it maybe 2016, 17, something okay. like that. And um, that painting uh, won one of the major prizes in in, um, in Buenos Aires, oh. Biennale. Wow. So, um, And what can more, can you tell me about Noma Lisa? Well, uh, it's it's very interesting. She's she's wearing African garb and uh, she's very much dressed like um, uh, uh, one of the Maasai warriors would dress. And uh, the imagery, a lot of the imagery, is the imagery in uh, the Mona Lisa. But uh, again, to, uh, instead of having, she has red hair with some braids and uh, big earrings and that kind of thing. But um, and uh, but. Uh, you know, it's an interesting painting, and apparently the people in South America thought and, you know, awarded one of the major prizes. Congratulations on yeah. that. That's got to be unbelievable to get that it type was, of prize. It was. It was pretty much, uh, you know, it was a last-minute thought that um, they had uh, chosen another large piece, which I thought was a magnificent piece, and they did too because they had accepted that as the piece that would go in. And uh, because of COVID, they, um, they kept uh, delaying the show. And then finally, when there was a break, they said, okay, we're going to have the show. But that only gave me a month to uh, prepare the painting to go to South America. And my, my, what I was going to do is I was going to um, roll the painting and take it down a week early and have it framed. And I was too tired. So uh, the Noma Lisa is a very small painting, so I just put it in a um, box and carried it on, pl on the plane with me. Oh, okay. So... And the, it worked the, out. It worked out for you yeah. for sure. Um, another element, like, and you talked about this already, about the the students' work that's in your uh, uh, exhibition as well over at the Birchfield Penny, and you most certainly, you know, working with young people in art. Talk a little bit about that. Is that something you find energizing? I always have. I've done a lot of work with uh, young people uh, throughout the years. Um, 
but this was one of the first times I really worked with uh, young people in art, and um, uh, my whole uh, purpose was to give them some inspiration. Basically, they gave me a lot of inspiration. Uh, they were very creative, and um, they listened, and uh, and then they went on their own and did what they they wanted to do, which was the whole purpose. The purpose was not for me to do anything other than inspire them. And uh, that worked out pretty well. Uh, so what I did was designed a corset, which was started with a um, concept, design, uh, fabrication, and then completion. Um, and each week we talked about things. And I, I worked with um, another great artist, uh, Jay Hawkins, who uh, hmm. um, I would come in for four hours in the morning on a Monday and and on Fridays, and he would have them in the afternoon and throughout the week, and he would take them to museums and, and just follow up on some of the things that I was doing. So, I mean, he's just as much responsible as I was. But um, the kids were really uh, powerful, strong, creative. Um, and if you saw, the, if you see, go to the, which I hope you do, go see the exhibit, you'll see how powerful they are on, on their own. Uh, they're just strong pieces of, of art, strong pieces of literature, and strong um, orations that they, they, you know, statements that they, they made. There's a QR card where you can listen to them, and, and some of the things that they said just blew me away. Really? Yes. It's just, uh, just, I mean, they're on the highest level if you just thought that, uh, if you listened and didn't know that they were high school students and that, you would think that they were professional which which they are now wow so I mean, these are young people i mean they have a defined sense of of what they're trying to convey yes. yeah and you you've got great um great leadership in 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 those groups the uh, uh squeaky wheel b cat and and um uh what's it just buffalo i mean the, the programs that they're running are exceptional um I would advise anyone to send their send their kids there because if you want them to do something, some of the writing was like uh, almost beyond uh, uh, what you might uh, Steinbeck or whatever. I was just blown away. I said, you know, you're doing this at this age. I said, I need to go back to school. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. I don't know if I need that kind of humility, yeah. Leroy. Yes, right. <laughs> uh, what you know, we've had people here and we've talked about this about. Art in Buffalo, the artistic abilities and talent that's in Buffalo, to the point where we've had people say, you know, the art in Buffalo emerges, is from the east side of Buffalo. I mean, I've had that statement. This is where the art is in Buffalo, whether it's music or or paintings or, or whatever the case may be, visual art. I'm wondering from your perspective as somebody, again, who grew up here, You've developed a, a, a great following for yourself, and um, for sure. But is that that talent, that artistic talent, that is in the East Side of Buffalo, is it being developed enough? Is are there enough opportunities for these young people to express that? Well, I, I think there's a lot of opportunities. There's a lot of murals going on, a lot of projects going on that um, uh, uh, I think Buffalo is worthy to be on a national scene. Uh, I compare Buffalo somewhat to New York in the 70s and the 80s mm. when the whole uh, 
pop art and things who are blossoming with uh, Warhol and Peter Max and Basquiat and those guys. And um, uh, there's a lot of that going on, not only on the east side, but throughout. There's some interesting museums and galleries and uh, just a lot of projects going on with a lot of artists. And the whole thing is is just boiling and, and just simmering, so just ready to explode. I think there's always opportunity for more, but I think what one of the, our strengths are in the uh, mural aspect sure. of it. But um, uh, I think it, also that um, the city as a whole is recognizing uh, the power of the east side in terms of what they're doing with art. And um, I think there has to be some kind of cohesion that brings everything together with the east side and the rest because there's just this whole environment is strong, not just the east side, but the west side, and just the whole art community here right now seems to be just just blooming, and just have so many talented artists. So, you know, I've been all around the world, I've seen ta- talented right. artists, and, and and we're just as good as anywhere. You know, the question is, where do they want to take it? Do they? You know, I I chose to do more international work, and um, I I think that that's the route that I chose. I don't know what their route is going to be, but um, what they've done here is very strong. It- it, it, uh, the other part of that, then, you know, like you said, you could where you could take it. Not everybody, though, has the chops, right? Finally, in the end, to take it to Buenos Aires or to Paris or Los Angeles or whatever. How important is it to continue to develop that that artistic, whether it's East Side of Buffalo, but Buffalo in general? I really want to kind of be more focused on the city. I think to a certain extent, not to preclude the, the suburbs in any way, but I'm interested in the city because it, to me, it, it, it seem, to hear you talk about it, it sounds like we're on the verge of something very significant here. We are. We have some very, very strong artists. Um, uh, for me, it was a matter of just knowing where I stood okay. in the art world. And the only way that you can find that out is going places and doing things. So, uh, I mean, here you can stand out. There's no problem with that. I mean, um, but there's a lot of competition here. So you're going, you know, you're going to have to stand out some kind of way. Right. So um, I, I think that, um, I think once they build that confidence that they are as good as anybody anywhere, because they come from a history of strong artists like Bill Cooper and um, Wilhelmina Godfrey and, uh, James Pappas, these guys, these uh, these people, they were, I mean, they could compare with anybody anywhere. Uh, and I think that legacy has helped uh, black artists to, in the inner city to, to, you know, to develop their own art and try to reach that level. Um, but again, my, my feeling is that uh, uh, you need to take it beyond. I gotcha. Uh, and are there obstacles, though, for these Young artists in Buffalo. The only obstacle is yourself. <laughs> you know, I mean, that's the only obstacle I've ever found. Um, I have a never say no attitude about anything, uh, and I think that. Uh, but I'm not them. Understood. So I don't know, you know, what their goals are and what you know what satisfies them. What and whatever satisfies them to me is that's good. If that's mm. if that's what you want, that's fine. You know, if you you want to be a stay at home artist, that's great. You know. Uh, if you want to do some other things, um, I love the travel aspect. Right. Uh, How valuable was it, though, in your development as an artist, would you say, then 
to have gone to these other places. Very valuable to be able to talk with other artists about their experiences and to see what, what um, you know, artists are, are experiencing the same thing everywhere. I mean, it, um, exposure, um, uh, trying to make it as an artist, that kind of thing. Um, but also uh, uh, getting the confidence that what they're doing is is what they should be doing. I mean, I had that same issue. And and then building on that, being confident in yourself is, is most important because I think everybody needs an individual style. We don't need to repeat somebody else's right. style because you just fall in line with a thousand other people. And that that sometimes I see might be an issue here as it is in other places that, um, uh, you know, you see the same kind of work here as you do, um, you might see in other cities. Okay. And, and what about uh, criticism? What about criticism and critics? Um, do you take anything from the criticism? Is that something that you just have to be ready for if you're going to be an artist? You do have to be ready for it because you're going to get criticized. Uh, uh, art is subjective. So uh, people might say that, hey, your head is too small or that head is too big or that head should be over here or this kind of thing. I don't like the colors or you know, eh, you know, it's too, it's too sexy or whatever. You know, I mean, you have to be confident in yourself. Um, there's uh, how many billion people out here? Uh, right, right. You know, is and, and that's one attitude. You know, but you have to be confident in yourself and, and keep going with what you're doing. Where'd you get your confidence from? Uh, from being told uh, I didn't like this, I don't like that, and then finally just saying to myself that I really don't care what you don't like or whatever. <laughs> I'm going to do what I have to do. I'm, I feel good about what I'm doing. So I, um, you know, when you hear it, of course, everybody wants to hear the good things, but you, you, the bad things, I mean, it's part of life. Right. Can you remember anything that, uh, of the bad things that maybe it did, it, it proved to be a available piece of advice or you would rather not just not focus on it? Well, I, I, the, the one that I really um, think of most is, um, <clears throat> I was at the London Biennale and, um, uh, which is a very important event. And um, there's a woman there, and she was criticizing uh, the work to me, half drunk. She was like, uh, the head is too small. You disrespect women and this and that and the other. And I was like, oh, you know, first I was very nice to her. And I was like, um, well, thank you for your opinion. But um, um, uh, uh, my mother was the most important person in my life. And um, I have the ultimate respect. And actually, what you think about this painting, what I think, are two different things. I think that this talks about the energy and the power of a woman, and you're seeing something different. So I, I asked her. I said, "Would you would you talk to? Would you tell Picasso that that head should be over here?" And she looked at me. I said, "That's called um, um, artistic uh, freedom to do what I want." But the problem with that whole scenario was I didn't know that the jurists for the show were standing there listening. Oh. And I didn't find that out till the conversation was over. And uh, they had these tags on that said the jurists from the European conference and that. And I said to myself, oh, my God, this, this is like a nightmare. And so one of the artists next to me, she's a, the woman doesn't know a thing that she's talking about. Just excuse that. Well, I won the two highest artists there Wow! in spite of that. So that's just a lesson that you learn, that you have to be confident in what you do and then and accept the criticism. 
I'm not going to change the head just because. <laughs> I said, in this, in this, head, we don't change the heads here. You know, we just, you know, we just change the suits. <laughs> uh, so that was um, uh, that one. I that lesson I learned, um, and you have to laugh about it, you know, uh, because you have to be secure regardless of what. And sometimes I say to myself, you know. Somebody finishes last, you know, one day it's going to be me. Somebody finishes last. Right. Understood. Yeah. You're listening to Buffalo What's Next. More to come right after this on WBFO. Not sure what you want to watch tonight? We've got you covered. Visit WNED.org slash TV schedule to see what's on WNED-PBS, WNED-Create, and WNED-PBS Kids. Click the primetime button to see what's on tonight. You can also search for your favorite programs in the search bar or look for programs by date and time. Visit WNED.org slash TV schedule and start making your viewing plans now. This is Buffalo What's Next, where we have conversations with the community about moving forward. To have your voice heard, press the Talk to Us button on the WBFO app, and we'll work to get your questions and comments on the air. Join us on Twitter at WBFO or email us at news at WBFO.org. Together, we'll have the conversations that are needed. This is WBFO, your NPR station. We are uh, talking with uh, Leroy Johnson uh, this morning. If you need to grab a drink, Mr. Johnson, please. I mean, if... I've, uh, I'm putting you through the, the talking paces here today on Buffalo What's Next. Um, there's so much to talk about with you. I, I, I love talking about art, and maybe we can circle back to some elements of it as well. But there's more to your career. First and foremost, you are an attorney. You're not just not just an artist. or you, I mean, you're doing art. We talked about before. You're still doing law full-time. You're doing art full-time. Yes, I'm not even going to ask you how you do that. So I'll just talk about. So uh, talk about is how did you get into law? What 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 kind of law have you been practicing through these years? Well, uh, I had a number of family members who were um, attorneys, um, and uh, I used to watch Perry Mason a lot. Of <laughs> <laughs> but it was really my cousins who were both um, lawyers, and and when I was about nine or ten, you know, they were um, they opened up a law firm in Cleveland. And that was very important to me that uh, they wanted me to be there, and, and I was there and saw the energy around that. And um, then you mix in Perry Mason with that, and, you know, because at, during those four years, all I saw was one episode of Perry Mason at a time, you know. And, right. And um, no binge watching back then. But yeah. Actually, the um, the United States government army made a decision for me. Uh, when I graduated from college, I really wanted to take some time off and go to um, to uh, Europe and travel around. And so <clears throat> I went to Washington. I was staying in Washington for a while. And I uh, got a letter that said if, if uh, you have one of two choices, either you go to school or you go to Vietnam. Mm. And you got two weeks to decide. So I had uh, applied to law schools, and I was in D.C., and so I ran into the dean of admissions at Georgetown, and I had already been accepted, although I had not applied. I uh, was going to NYU, 
and the dean of admissions asked me could he take my application to Georgetown with him because he was going to go over to Georgetown. That opportunity came, and I just went to Georgetown. I said, you know, I'm not going to Vietnam right now. <laughs> right, right. Uh, uh, that's kind of how, like, you know, if that didn't happen, I don't know if I if I ever would have gone to law school. Wow. That's quite a story. Quite a, it most yeah. certainly changed uh, things there. So, uh, you know, Georgetown, of course, one of the great law schools in the country for sure. Uh, you practice all types of law? or um... I have a general practice, but my focus is uh, is personal injury. Okay. But I do a lot of I do federal work. I uh, do um, contracts, a lot of state work. And, None of the Perry uh, Mason work? Uh Sometimes it gets to Perry Mason. You might use one of those those old tricks. And of course, I don't have his uh, his sidekick who went out and did all the investigation. I don't have that. But uh, um, yeah, I, I I really enjoy practicing law. I, I still um, every case is a new case. It's almost like art in a sense. It's like hmm. you you have to treat every case as it's your first case, and um, uh, you do all the work and you do all the research and then you. You give it your best so that your client gets the best result. And I couldn't help but think when you were describing your art process of that, waking up from that dream, sketching it immediately, preparing the canvases, that part of that discipline is part of the discipline that seems to come out of being a, a, an attorney. Same discipline. Um, uh, you have to use the same creative, but uh, you, you have to use the, um, the real process, the um, uh, what are the facts, you know, and how does the facts apply to the law? And uh, if you have to be creative, sometimes you know you, you get the case where you say that there's no way that this case that this case is going to turn out, and then you think about it, and think about it, think about it, and then you come up with something crazy, and it works. Wow! Wow! Yeah, I might have to use you as an attorney. It sounds like yeah. <laughs> well, we'll, we'll talk about that off air. Uh, I have to talk about. Um, a couple of other elements here. Uh, you uh, graduated from uh, Canisius College in 1971. And uh, your time at college, if I'm not mistaken, uh, you and uh, a classmate and maybe others were involved in um, a fairly significant, how do I say, I guess what it was, it was a sit-in almost of, of sorts uh, at Canisius with uh, the well, then president? It was, yeah, it was more, more than just the sit-in. It was a process of... Uh, changing things at the school. The sit-in was part of it. But yep. um, uh, you're, of course, mentioning um, uh, Tarabu Kirkland, who was um, produced and directed The 100 Years from Mississippi. Right. We had him on the show last week, as a yeah, matter of fact. Yeah. yeah. Um, um, uh, Tarabu, myself, and Bob Maloney, Frank Barbie, and Gene Robeson, a couple others. Gene Robeson, the basketball player? Yeah. yeah. We all um, uh, we were of the minority class there was just uh, very few of us at Canisius and our thinking during the time was uh, uh, that here we are in this uh, black neighborhood in almost uh, a perceived uh, lily white school and there's nothing here for us and it just doesn't make sense so we sat in um, and Father Dembski met with us and was very receptive to everything. And then, in fact, he said, if you could, whatever you bring to me, uh, I will do it, work on it. You know, first we demanded 100 students. We ended up with more at the end, but uh, uh, we went out, and because of time restrictions and that, we were able to bring in 30 students in the next class. We were able to um, 
set up uh, the Martin Luther King Scholarship Program. Also, we set up uh, tutorial programs, and um, uh, we brought in, uh, I think, a, well, at least one black professor. Because one thing that they did have, they had Dr. Jesse Nash, who was there at Canisius. Oh. So he was very helpful in terms of um, uh, forming the Canisius Afro and and conceptualizing a lot of things. Uh, he, along with Dr. Uh, Walter Sherrill and um, uh, Ed Zimmerman. So, I mean, we uh, we did something that was going on around the country, but it was kind of spontaneous. Really? Yeah, it was. Um, uh, and I think we were ahead of the curve because we were one of the first to form that kind of organization. And then once we formed it, we um, we went around the country and started talking to various other schools about forming the same kind of organization and, and what it should look like. But um, we could say what our school should look like, but it's up to them to say what their school should look like. So, you know, our mission was to, to make some changes. And we really didn't think a whole lot about the, it, uh, it going to be a legacy or anything like that. But then, you know, it just turned out to be something very special. And uh, it's almost like art, spontaneous. and, and <laughs> You keep coming yeah. back to that. Yeah, yeah that's was, interesting. Uh, yeah, and we didn't know how it would work out, but you just just do it, you know? It, um, I, I maybe just answered the question that I was going to say, lessons or a lesson that you took from from that event in your life. And that's a significant event. I mean, the, the, like you said, the, that type of thing was happening at different colleges across the country, but until that time, there was none of that. Right. I mean, I think there was a certain amount of um, courage and and um, and some some anger, um, some uh, willingness to uh, to put ourselves out there in the front, in the forefront of it. Um, but a lot of it was that we just didn't know. We didn't know how Dembski was going to run. Father Dembski, excuse right. me, because right. he was a, a great person. Certainly. Um, <clears throat> We didn't know how he was going to react. It was, it was funny because we 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 uh, it, it, the sit-in we sat in and we were going to kind of block the office until he did something and he comes up instead of coming out he comes <laughs> up and what are you guys doing? It's like sitting in, having to sit in. He says, "Well, what do you want?" And he says, um, I said, "We start explaining." He said, "No, well, come into the office. Come into the boardroom." So we go into the boardroom and uh, he pulls out cigars and some whiskey. He says, you guys want to be big time. You want to talk like executives. He says, there you go. Here's some, you know, I was like, you know, I don't smoke. And I'm certainly not going to start drinking here in front of you. <laughs> you know, it's like, so it, that, that, I kind of remember that vividly. And, it, it, um, and, and then we started, uh, but we had planned pretty good about uh, uh, what we wanted. And so we were able to talk about what we wanted. So the, the question is, how do we do it? And Canisius wasn't set up to, uh, to attract black students. So we actually went out individually to schools and brought in students that we knew that could, could do the work at Canisius. So it, uh, over the summer, we spent uh, time going to various high schools, calling guys who I grew up with um, and who uh, Tarabo grew up with. And um, um, he was Tarabo, I, and Gene. We were only three from Buffalo. And then um, actually the upperclassman was Frank Barbie. So each one of us went out and started uh, collecting different students. And, and Bob Maloney and, and Ernie Daniels, they were both from uh, from D.C. So they attracted some students from D.C. So we ended up with 30 
and that was a pretty good number. Um, we could have brought in 100, but we couldn't do the work, that much work. Right. And so they actually set up a scholarship program and, um, you know, orientation and all those things. It was, uh, we worked hard that, uh, uh, that was after, our, during the end of our freshman year uh, and over the summer into our sophomore year. Wow. That's all. That is a lot of work for college students, yes. uh, for sure. Um, Canisius has, has changed, of course. They have a black president now. Uh, if I know my numbers, I think maybe about a third of their incoming class are, uh, are populations of color, uh, students of color. Um, but what was the response on campus? That's the response from Father Dembski. What about from fellow students? Well, I don't think all the students were receptive, but some of them were. I mean, the ones I knew were on our side with basketball sure. players and the athletes, uh, Tony Massiello and, and Terry and those Terry guys, Connors, they, yeah. they, were, um, uh, they were there, uh, very supportive. and uh, So we know that the sports guys were. Uh, and most of the students, there was only, I, I, you know, I only had a few encounters with, uh, uh, with students that were negative, and um, I had a few negative responses from some of the professors. Wow. Oh, yeah. We're talking with uh, Leroy Johnson on uh, Buffalo What's Next, uh, coming down to our, our final segment of, of the program with him. And uh, uh, we're talking about a lot of different things. Most certainly want to continue to mention that his uh, the Leroy Living, Living in Color uh, retrospective is on at the Birchfield Penny through March 26th. I can't let you go without talking about your brother. They never do. And <laughs> nobody does. Nobody I mean, does. I can imagine your brother, Rick James. Yeah. So we have this artist, attorney, and this amazing uh, musical figure growing up in the same household. What was it like with uh, when you guys were young? Well, Rick was always a little different, you know. I mean, and when I say different, it's just that. Uh, um, Rick explored everything, and um, <clears throat> he was his own person. And you just, uh, you know, he he just seemed to be ahead of everything. Uh, so he was a little different, and you know, following behind him for the most part because we we're basically the same age, and we're best of friends until um, until the end. Hmm. Um, he was just a very creative person, and you you know, it, it's hard to put your fingers down on him. Um, but there was a lot to learn from creative people in terms of what they they do and how they looked at things and uh, one of the things is that uh, nobody believed in him but he believed in himself and that goes back to yourself with art you have to believe in yourself and uh, I kind of like do the same thing when I I teach him and so on and say ah this is terrible I said no this is this is not this is you this is great and then I'll I'll Google it and show them that there are artists who are very successful doing just what you're doing right now, the so-called terrible work that you think. I says, so Rick had uh, an overwhelming amount of confidence that um, in anything that he did, he he believed he could do anything. So, he had too much confidence. <laughs> you know, you know. I guess that's that an issue. So uh, that's interesting that you, when you, you reframed it like that, that, that it wasn't just his musical ability and the idea that he could be this incredible performer. It was just whatever he took on, 
he did it with confidence. Yes. Where did that come from? Because obviously that's something that was bestowed upon you as well. I don't know. I just think that uh, I guess in our family uh, and my mother and um, her family and her grandmother and her grandmother's grandmother uh, just pushed uh, confidence and creativity and and the world belongs to you and don't let any, anybody tell you. It says you are you. There's no world without you. There's no stars out there except for the stars that you make. But you're the star in your world. So we always believed in that. So, you know, the question is, do you get the most out of yourself? It's a great question. Uh, I'm not going to get into my answer right now. I'll yeah. save that for later. Uh, so I'm not going to ask you the question about hope for Buffalo. I'm going to ask you then the question that we like to ask, what does Buffalo need? What does it need? We can't, we're not going to be able to change the weather. So uh, we know that's going to be a, 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 a given. What does Buffalo Buffalo need, what would you say? Buffalo needs more creative people, and it needs um, people who can understand what Buffalo represents and how to expand on that more and want to do that. Uh, Buffalo has a lot of people here with money, can do things, but they're very content with what they have. They don't want to change things. They don't want to uh, continue to make Buffalo the city that it can be. I think that from traveling around and you see what's here, uh, little changes, I think, like, for instance, if they ever recognize the real waterfront, that kind of thing, you know. Um, and someone had the, um, the guts to say, let's do something really creative with the waterfront. What's, what's there is nice. Right. It's a nice beginning. But that's not the waterfront. That, that really isn't. So... Um, I mean, those are things personally that I see. Right. That I see that could change. I think that if, um, and it might sound crazy, I said I, we have a perfect position on Lake Erie that people would really want to come to. We could create a Niagara on the lake right there, right here in Buffalo. Um, and I think if we um, we had a better relationship, we have a governor now from Buffalo, right? And we should ex- exploit that to, to make the changes in Buffalo that we really need. You know, we're getting ready to take off here in terms of culture with the opening of New Albright. We're going to um, we're going to see that that's going to bring international attention to the Albright. It's going to bring people in from around the world just for that. So, you know, they're going to need more than just that. You got the Birchfield, you got the Albright, you you have that whole museum section, you know. So, but what else? I think we have to start thinking bigger while we have the opportunity. You're not going to have a governor from Buffalo for a long time, but you can create a lot of things. And I know this because I was in Washington um, when the, um, the Pennsylvania Avenue development took place. I was also involved in a in Baltimore's development from the outside, we consulted with them, but oh. I was part of um, the team that worked on the Pennsylvania Avenue development, and we had resistance uh, to that from people. But these are things that are going to happen. Things are going to happen in Buffalo in spite of what uh, the, the people here who don't want change. It's going to happen. It's just a question of when. Wow. We should bring you back and talk about that some more at some other time. But we are out of time. All right. Leroy Johnson um, is, uh, among other things, is an artist who you can find his uh, retrospective at the Birchfield Penny. Leroy, Living in Color, runs through March 26th. So much more. Um, 
Really appreciate your time, Leroy Johnson. Thanks for joining us. Thank you for the conversation. It has been a great conversation for sure. This is WBFO and WBFO HD1 Buffalo, WOLN Olean, and WUBJ Jamestown, your NPR station.